You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. We have a special opportunity the next couple of weeks. So if you're newer here, uh, hopefully if you've been here for a while, this doesn't feel too foreign. But if you're newer here, one of our... um, big driving things is we don't ever want to be a church that's just about us staying here and just doing the nice church stuff, which is valuable, but it's always for the purpose of sending us out, that we desire to see transformation here, but then we want to transform communities as we go out from this place. And and um, in the Bible, we would call that mission. Um, you can call it whatever you term you want to give, but it's this idea being sent out. Um, so we talk about that all the time. I think we do a pretty good job here in our city in Baltimore. Um, you know, and that's valuable. But the next couple of weeks, um, today and next week, we're going to take time with this mini uh, two-week series called Big World, Small World as we talk about um, what does it mean to be Christians who have a view of the globe? What does it mean to have be Christians who realize it's not just about us here, that the most important ministry is not just right here, but if we're going to be biblically faithful, it means letting God guide us to go beyond barriers and walls that we might set and realize that this good news is for the whole world and whatever we can be part. So the beautiful part of that, and we're going to talk about that next week as well, uh, the beautiful part of that, and the reason we call it big world, small world, this world is big. I mean, it's, it's big, but the amazing thing about living now in 2018 is that the world is shrinking in so many ways. And the opportunities for a small church in Baltimore we, we have opportunities to literally connect with the whole world in different ways. And we're not huge, so we can't do everything. But we've chosen some uh, specific ways that we're going to partner up with some different folks. And just to put it on your radar, next Sunday, we're going to have a bunch of different stories of what God is doing globally, even in our own community. But part of that, we have a special guest coming in who's going to be sharing her family's journey as they're already missionaries in, in Africa. And she's going to share a little bit during... Uh, Bethany's going to share a little bit during our worship, but then there's also going to be an information session afterwards for you to be able to come and hear more about their work. And uh, as a church, we're going to be walking with them, but we want to open this door for you as well. Maybe God would impress upon you more ways for you to become directly involved with their work, and we want to highly encourage that. Um, So having said all that, I'm going to invite Pastor Roger Kim to come up here. Uh, Some of you uh, you might know Pastor Roger. He is OG in Baltimore. If you don't know what OG is, go up, look up Urban Dictionary. But uh, he, um, Pastor Roger is actually, this is really cool for us, for Judy and I especially. Uh, we were, before we started the village, we were both on the pastoral staff at Grace Life Church where Pastor Roger started um, many years ago in the city of Baltimore. So we were sent out as a church almost 10 years ago from Grace Life. And um, usually you have someone on stage, you want to say nice stuff about them because that's what you're supposed to do and you're supposed to set them up for all you because I don't want to say how miserable of a wretch he is and you're like, well, why is he preaching then? Uh, Pastor Roger, without a joke, and I'm not, this is no hyperbole, probably the key person in my journey that led me to want to start a church. Really. And I was on staff there and he is just probably the most kingdom-minded man I know, just continually talking about sending out so that we can reach more people. And I got caught the bug. I caught the bug and and we sent out to start the village. So if you've ever been blessed by this church ever, 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 
you've got Pastor Roger to thank because he's one of the main people who sent us on this journey to start this little thing called The Village. So I am always personally indebted to him. As a church, we're grateful. So they sent us out. They partnered Grace Life with The Village to get this thing started. And now we have got this amazing opportunity to walk together with Pastor Roger and uh, his wife, Anne, and their family. They are now missionaries to Lima, Peru. And uh, transitioning full-time out of pastoring here in Baltimore for many decades, now fully going to Lima. And he's going to share much more about it. But as a church, we have the opportunity to partner together in different ways. Financially, we're also hoping for missions opportunities for our church to go to Lima uh, in the city, but also in uncharted territories in, uh, in Peru. And so we're very excited. So it came at really short notice, but I was like, yo, Pastor Rod, do you think you can preach for our church while you're still here? He said yes. So we are very grateful that he's here together. So can we just encourage him as he shares the word right now with us? Well, I, feel, I feel really honored and uh, feel like a real special guest speaker. But I just want to share today uh, more than anything else. I know that you know, a lot of times when you see somebody up on the stage and you get an introduction, something like that, you know, you think, wow, this, you know, he must have some special faith or journey with God that makes him that way. And uh, that's not really the case for me, okay? I just want you to know that. That really for me more than anything else is the week-to-week, day-to-day journey with God, okay? That brought me where I am today, okay? I know that when I think back, you know, this is my 29th year in ministry, 27 years of that as a pastor, 20 years of that as a church planter, and it's hard for me to believe uh, back in November last year, God called me and my wife to leave everything that we know that we have built in some way and the people that we know and want us to go to South America, to Peru. And the hardest challenge about that is not only leaving everything we know, but we also have to leave our language and have to learn a new language, okay? And so, yeah, I do not speak any Spanish, and we're going down to Peru, Okay? That doesn't sound, I mean, that sounds like something that either you're crazy or maybe God is up to something, right? Uh, Yeah, Dan and Judy, I I met actually Judy when she graduated from college and came to Baltimore. So we go way back and uh, was a staff at our church doing campus ministry with us. And then Dan kind of swooped down from Philly and stole her from us. So I had the privilege of doing their wedding. And soon after, uh, they were launched off from our church downtown that we had uh, to plant the Village Church, and uh, I'm just amazed what God has done through Pastor Dan and Judy and the work that's continually happening and the emphasis that this church has, especially in the city of Baltimore, because when we first started the first church 20 years ago in Baltimore, um, really there was, Baltimore was one of the, you know, the dying cities in East Coast and, you know, kind of forgotten city, right? People remember, you know, like Richmond down in Virginia or Northern Virginia or D.C., and then you go to Philly and you go to New York. But Baltimore is always missing there, right? And I just recently read an article how Baltimore is now one of the top ten cities, fastest-growing city in the East Coast. It's an amazing transformation because 20 years ago when we started our first church, really we used to pray nightly for a revival and a transformation and change in Baltimore. And we were one of the very, very few Church plants, you know, that was happening. I mean, back then, church plant was not a popular thing. It was not a glamorous thing like it is now, right? And so when we started the church, we didn't really know if we were going to survive, okay? We were just really all by ourselves. It was about 10 of us and $400 in our pocket. We bought our overhead projector, if you know what that is, okay? 
And that was it. That was all the money we had. And uh, we did not think we were going to survive. But soon after that, we uh, planted four more churches in Baltimore area. And uh, Village was one of those. And uh, about two and a half years ago, God uh, led us to start our first international church plant in Lima, Peru. And so I was commuting every month back and forth between South America and here, okay, planting that church. And so that's kind of like a shorter version of what God's been doing. But I'm just, once again, just amazed as I stand here, the transformation of this church, even this building, because I've been in this building, okay, before what it is now, many years before, right? And the people, more than anything else, I mean, if anything, church is the people, it's all of you. You are the village church. And I hope you never forget that. And that what you do together as a church is what makes church happen, okay? And so it's really encouraging to hear about going out globally, locally. And uh, I just want to share, I guess, kind of what's on my heart and what has kind of driven, okay, this kind of madness to do the things I've done in the past. Uh, I've been on so many mission trips overseas, uh, probably close to 100, maybe even more. Um, I've been on a, a trip to the jungle in the Amazon where we were the first mission team to ever go there, trips like that. But, you know, as I share that, I know it sounds really far, right? It's sometimes something so hard for us to do. But kind of what Pastor Dan mentioned briefly, the world has become so small. Okay, you'd be surprised. If you were to get on an airplane tomorrow morning, right, you could be at the most remote ends of the earth, okay, sharing the gospel, okay, with the tribes and people who have never been reached in less than 48 hours. Okay, we have that kind of technology and ability to do things like that, right? And yet, so much time, we just sit where we are, right, thinking that maybe someday we'll go, or maybe somebody else is going, so I just have to kind of support that person, right? And so I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 28, okay? That is the beginning and the end of, I think, my ministry uh, life and why I keep doing what I do. And so I'm sure all of you know this verse, have memorized it, hopefully, by heart, right? But uh, let's pray before we read into this passage. Father, we thank you so much for this time. I want to continue to pray for your blessing over this church and the work that Pastor Dan and Judy are doing. Father, we ask that you would watch over them, cover them with your special grace and their children as they grow in your presence. And so, Father God, we ask for that blessing. We pray for this church, that this church will never settle, but will continue to move forward and move forward in a way, Lord God, that you would lead them. And so, Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for everyone who's here, Lord God, and we ask for your hand upon their lives. And would you lead us, Lord God, to the place that you want us to be and to go and to be the people that you want us to be, Lord. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 28 says this, uh, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Okay? Every mission, every church, every ministry, if you're a Christian, I assume that this is a vision. This is the mission, the final end goal of why we do what we do. Okay? And I think a lot of times we read this passage and we make it that. We, you know, we put a big banner up, make t-shirts, all kinds of stuff happens, right? However, are we really doing it? You know, if you look at churches around not only the United States, but around the world, right? As I'm in South America, I got a chance to uh, travel around there. When I look at churches, this becomes just that kind of model, right? They'll say, well, it's our goal, you know, and we hope to live for that. 
But a lot of times, it's something that we kind of put out there, okay, as something that we should do, okay? And then there's one more verse I want to share, Matthew 16, 18. Here where Peter says, you know, thou art the Christ, that revelation. And Jesus says this, I tell you that, Peter, you, uh, uh, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, okay? There's something about the Great Commission and the church, right, the beginning of church, growing of church, starting of church, I think a lot of times that we don't realize. When I went to seminary, I think the last thing that I wanted to do, okay, was to become a pastor in a church. I had such a negative view of church. Okay, if anything, I wanted to be involved in campus ministry. That's why I went off to seminary in Chicago, right? During the middle of my studies, okay, I was taking uh, Greek and all those amazing classes, I guess you can say, right, um, a New Testament class. I came across this passage and, you know, during that moment in the class, I mean, everybody was, you know, I'm sure astounded by this. But for me, it was a moment of encounter with God and calling into a pastoral ministry. Okay? Because what Jesus was saying is that I will build my church. It's not just some organization, something that Christians are doing. He's saying all the churches are mine, and I'm going to build it. And to me, it was a challenge to be part of that mission of what Jesus had in mind. So when I start to put those things together, I start to realize, you know what, I think church is it. Church is what, you know, Great Commission is about. And I want to make sure that I want to do all that I can as a pastor, right? And a lot of times when we come away, walk away from that vision, this is what usually happens. And this is kind of what happened when I left uh, seminary. I got recruited by a church. And this church was like 800 people in three years, okay? I mean, it was fast growing. It was taking off and all that, right? And they had a mission focus. They were sending people off to seminary to be future leaders. They were sending off missionaries. I mean, great things, right? Something strange happened in their 10th year, okay, as they continued to grow, right? For some reason, they said, you know, next year we're going to scale back all of our projects and spend $10 million to build a building off of Highway 270, okay, in Gaithersburg, right? That everybody can see, and they can all come to our church. But, you know, the price of that is going to be we're going to stop sending missionaries. We're going to stop supporting seminarians because this is what we're going to do for now. This is our strategy so that we can reach the ends of the earth. Okay, so it was really interesting, right? And so I said, okay, well, next year came, and, you know, we're doing this building project and all that. And for some reason, the church decided that architects, you know, in you know, Baltimore, Maryland, even D.C. area were not good enough. So they were going to fly them in, okay, every week from Dallas, Texas. And just the cost of those plane tickets was going to cost $50,000. But they said it's part of the strategy of Great Commission reaching the ends of the earth, okay. And they kept doing this. And next year they said we're going to do great things for the Lord, right. We're going to send out missionaries. We're going to do mission trips and all that and plant churches all over Baltimore and all that, right. Well, next year came, and they said, well, you know, we're running real short on staff and resources, so next year we're going to do, okay, what we said we're going to do. And the next year became next year, right? In the meantime, church keeps growing. So this is what you should how we interpret most churches. You know, they will never say this. They will never think this way. But most churches, this is kind of what's happening, right? You hear the Great Commission. You read Matthew 16, 18, and they start with the small church. Screen here. Okay. Church, right? Great church, right? And usually at that stage, people love each other. People know each other. No one goes missing, right? Great things are happening. And they start to dream and vision, right? And then next, church grows, right? 
And they say, wow, this is great. Now we actually have people, okay, more people, you know, out there than on the stage, and right? Because I've experienced so many times when I've done church playing, we had about 10 people there and five there, right? And now we have actually 20 people there and five here, right? And so it's great. So you say, oh, wow, we're really growing. We've got to keep going. We've got to evangelize. We've got to share the gospel with people, right? And you start to grow to the next stage. And they say, wow, you know, we now can have actual ministries where people are in charge. You know, we don't have the worship leader running up to the soundboard to change things and come back here. You know, I mean, things like that, right? And so church is growing, and they say, okay, now we can, we're almost there, guys. We're almost there. We're going we're gonna to do great things for the Lord. We're going to send out missionaries, right? Church grows, and they say, what? Well, you know what we need? We need a bigger space, okay? And you know what that bigger space? It's going to cost us more money, okay? So we're going to put off our mission plans for next year because we need more staff. We need a bigger space. We need, you know, Starbucks coffee now because, you know, we have people who are, you know, professionals coming to our church, okay? Not just normal people, right? They're special people. So you start doing that, right? And then the church grows, which is amazing, right? And when church grows, what happens? You say, wow, you know, maybe we need a bigger, better space, right? Because our children's ministry is growing. They need to go somewhere. They can't just cross out in the park, right? And so you start buying more things, right? You have like fleet of trucks now to, in order to set up things, right? And then you start to grow even more. And at that point, you say what? Okay, missions. In order for us to do missions, we need to have a building where we can do training, where we can school people, right? And we can, we're going to do great things for the Lord. $10 million. That's all. Okay? We'll get some loans. You know, we'll ask people to tithe above and beyond. Okay? You know, at some point, right, no one realizes that, you know what, there's never going to be a time where church is going to happen. Right? Mission is going to happen. What you think outwardly. Right? It's interesting in Acts chapter 1-8, right? Jesus comes back, right? Just in case you miss, okay, the strategy when he said the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations, right? Uh, just in case you missed it, he says in Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He reiterates, okay? If you didn't get it the first time, what I meant by go and make disciples, of the, let me give you a strategy behind that. I want you to do what you're doing, ministry, where you are, and a little bit beyond that, and even beyond that, okay? He didn't say, I want you to keep building what you have and make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And Book of Acts, if you know anything about Book of Acts, right? Jerusalem Church was kind of making that same mistake, right? They say, wow, we're getting established. We've got thousands of people coming to our church. We're no longer a sect. Okay, now we're actually being recognized actually as a real religion. And they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then what, God, what did God do? He allowed persecution to happen. And that dispersed the gospel to the ends of the earth finally. I hope we don't have to wait in the United States for the persecution to come for us to go somewhere. Do something with our lives. I really hope that doesn't have to happen, okay? Because that just seems very painful, okay? And yet, that's what happened, okay? So this is our interpretation. This is kind of like the Grace Life Church vision. It's always been, right? We see uh, the next slide. Okay, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Okay, how do we interpret that? I think our Jerusalem has always been and always will be Baltimore City, okay? Okay, it's our Jerusalem, right? It's where we, God has called us to. We need to own the Baltimore City, 
We need to pray for the city. We need to do outreach in the city. We need to do everything we can, okay? And next, in Baltimore, I think there are, yeah, there are over like 256 neighborhoods, communities, right? And our actually original vision of Grayside was to plant a church in every one of those neighborhoods, okay? Because we didn't want to do one big church in the middle of the city, right? And then we said, well, what else are we going to do? What about outside of Baltimore? And we have always had dreamed about planting churches outside of Baltimore City. And, uh, you know, we were thought about maybe we'll go to another city like Denver or Phoenix or, you know, New York City. I got really close to planting a church in New York City at one point. And we said, you know, this is kind of what we're going to do, okay? After that, we're going to do the ends of the earth, okay? And that's next map. It's the world, right? That's one interpretation of Acts 1-8, isn't it? See, a lot of times I think there's one way to look at it. Yeah, I think God does call us to go to the ends of the earth in that way. But I think one thing that you and I have to recognize is this. Perhaps that's not the only way to go to the ends of the earth. Okay? Maybe another way of looking at the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, right, is even relationally, community-wise. Maybe Jerusalem is your family, your friends that you know who are close to, who you should be praying for. I hope you're sharing the gospel with as opportunity rise. I don't want you to force it on them. I don't want you to shove the gospel down their throat, okay, threaten them with hell, things like that, right? But, you know, I hope you're being faithful in sharing the gospel, okay? And then beyond that, when you go to work or school, right, you have peers, right? I think that's your Judea Samaria in some ways, right? And then in everyday life, you encounter people that you have never met. Maybe if you, when you go to grocery stores or gas stations. There was a pastor actually in uh, Illinois who get, became really famous for doing this. He would go to the same gas station, right, talk to the same person. He would go to the same grocery store and try to line up at the same grocery line so they can go to another person. Okay? Intentionally living like that way for the sake of the gospel. Okay? See, something needs to happen. Maybe you're not globally thinking and really when you take the word go, meaning go, some of you are convicted to really go, and then you should go. But for every one of us, there's a place for that verse, okay, and that passage, and the Great Commission. Okay? But this is what's usually happening, especially with my observation in the United States, okay? Imagine, let's say all of you here, right? You're starving. You haven't eaten for three days. Is that long enough? Five days, okay? Would you be hungry after five days? Maybe seven days, okay? And what happens in the United States is this, okay? I brought a little, some bread for illustration here, okay? What happens is we have bread in the United States. We have more than a bread, obviously, right? We have iPhones, okay? <laughs> I'm going to come down the stage, so song, watch the sound, okay? Um, we take the bread we have, right? And we go to people and say, here's some bread for you, and here's some bread for you, and here's some bread for you, Okay? Now, remember, all of you are starving, okay? But I say, okay, that's good enough, okay? <laughs> right? And then we go back and say, okay, let's talk about the gospel, guys, and the Great Commission. You know, Jesus said to go make disciples of all nations. You know, let's do some evangelism training in our church. We're going to go out and actually share the gospel with people in the street. We're going to go, you know, door to door and clean people's toilets and say, because Jesus loves you, I'm here to clean your toilet. Things like that, right? That used to be a very popular evangelistic uh, kind of a way to do things, okay? And then you come back to church, and what happens? We, you, you get fed more, right? And, you know, you come to church, and, and there's, here's some bread for you, okay? And here's some bread for you, okay? And here's some bread for you, 
Okay, and are you hungry? Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, there's just not enough, okay? Because there's just enough for these three people, okay? And so we come back to the church and, you know, we get more teaching, right? I mean, there's just so much teaching happening in the United States, right? I mean, there's online things you can always check out. There's sermons you can listen to. Just endless amount of teaching. You just listen. And for some reason, when you just hear a great sermon or even a teaching, you just feel great. Don't you feel that way? You feel like you're maturing and you're growing in Christ when you learn something new in Scripture, right? Uh, somebody even in Peru, this is happening, right? So in, that, in this, one, this one church that, uh, that I got to know, uh, every member of that church has to memorize Genesis 1-1 in Hebrew, right? And I was like, Why? What's the purpose of that? Well, you know, it's, it's the scripture. I mean, it's the word of God. And, you know, okay, well, what happens when you memorize? I think the only thing it does is it makes you feel like you can tell the people, hey, I know Genesis 1-1 in Hebrew. Okay? And then it gives you this false idea that you're full, right? And you're really growing. So you go back to church and what happens in church? Okay? You get fed more, right? Pastor Dan's teaching a sermon series, new one. And you say, wow, that sermon is really getting to me, right? And you get fed, right? And you actually think about, right, and say, well, what are people? Are you hungry? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is not enough, okay? There's only enough for three people here, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> okay? And so then what happens, right? We sit there, okay, and we keep receiving the bread. You know what's interesting? Every time I've done this illustration, the first time I give the people the bread, they seem genuinely a little bit excited, okay? A little bit more excited in other parts of the world than here, right? <laughs> right? Second time we say, oh, man, another piece of bread, right? And third time they get the piece of it's like, oh, my, what am I going to do with all these pieces of bread? <laughs> Some people actually start to put it down on the ground. <laughs> what's happening? You know what's happening? Is that you and I are just getting so full. We have resources. I know all of you are busy. I know all of you are tired. I know you're working jobs, right? And some of you maybe even barely getting by, okay? Okay? When you look at poverty in the United States, wow, you cannot compare poverty in any part of the world if you've ever been there, right? It is nothing like, I cannot even use the word poor or have no money. I mean, it's just way, way different, right? But people are literally starving, right? Not only, you know, I'm not talking about just physically starving, but spiritually starving. They're starving for love. They're starving for acceptance. They're starving to encounter God. They're starving. But we're sitting in, in, in church, and we get fed, right? And what happens is that after a while, no matter what bread you get, it is not enough. It is not exciting enough. It's not impactful enough, Right? And so you start dropping bread and, you know, you hear the word and you're selectively listening. Or some of you start to get really critical about every sermon. Oh, you know, I think that passage was wrong. I don't think that, that theology is correct, right? You start to critique the message because you're so full, right? And you don't realize that. And then, you know, what else happens when you come to church? You're not excited because you're not hungry, right? And what happens is that you start to get dissatisfied with every church you visit, Oh, this church has this problem. Oh, that church has, this church has got great worship, but, you know, their sermon's a little weak. You go to this church, they have great small group, but their, you know, their worship is a little, you know what I mean? You start doing that. You know why you do that? It's because you're full. Okay? And what's always interesting in this illustration is that no one ever thinks about getting up, and the guy keeps saying, I'm hungry, but all these three guys, 
They're still sitting there with their three pieces of bread, right? <laughs> right? There's something about that, our human nature, right? Psychology or whatever you want to call it, right? We just can't get up and do something. Even though a person right behind you is saying, yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> All right? Why is that? Okay? He said, well, I, I think you get it, right? You get the problem, right? You understand, right? Well, let me tell you, that's only half the problem. You know what the other half the problem is? Is this verse in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Okay? There's this verse that I've studied almost many, many years. I say good decade or more. It's a mysterious verse to me. I don't know. Maybe other people understand it better. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has said eternity in the human heart. Every time I read that verse, what does that mean? You know what I mean? It sounds kind of, you know, when New Age movement was really popular in the 80s, 90s. Sounds kind of new age-ish, right? Eternity in your heart, right? And I always thought about that, and I said, you know what? You know what this is saying? <clears throat> what this is saying is that, you know what? You and I, not only spiritually, will be dissatisfied in all the things that I said, the importance of going out. But see, a lot of you here, right? 2018, as Pastor Jen said, is passing, right? It's, it's passing by. And I'm sure perhaps at the beginning of the year, you had hopes and dreams for this year to be a little different than last year. Okay? Maybe you thought about this year and say, you know what, I'm going to change some things this year to make it different. See, that ability to think about the future and to hope is something that you and I have that no other Christian in this world has. Okay? Anybody have a pet? You have a pet? What's the, is there a dog? What's the name? Lola? Okay. Lola. Do you think Lola gets up in the morning and says, one of these days, I'm going to run free from my owner and run wild. You know, it's my dream, okay? But for now, you know, I'm content here because I get fed and, you know, I get loved and, you know, I'm happy, okay, where I am, okay? But someday, I'm going to set myself free. When you go to the zoo in Druid Hill Park, right, the monkeys there in the cage, do you think they're dreaming about the future, they say, wow, you know, the food is okay here. You know, veterinarians come by, check us over, you know, and all these things. But one of these days, I'm going back to Africa or, you know, Amazon or wherever, where I came from. Because I know that's where my ancestors are. And I want to travel the world and do something with my life. No, they don't do that. But see, you and I have this unique ability to think about the future, right, and to hope. And we can make changes in our life that no other creation has. I want you to know, this is what somebody said, tomorrow will come, okay, no matter what. But the future will not come to you, okay? Do you know what I'm saying? You see, tomorrow will happen whether you make any choice or not, and tomorrow will be tomorrow, right? But if you want to really step into the future, you need to make choices to make that happen, okay? And a lot of us, we sit here, and sometimes we even wonder, why am I so unhappy, Okay? Why am I living this life that I'm living, right? And maybe you thought you would have a different life by now, and yet you're still not living it, right? I'm going to tell you that for most people, why you are where you are is because of the choices that you have made in your life, okay? The problem with just sitting here or anywhere else in your life and doing nothing, right, is that not only okay, are other people, right, can use your resource and things like that, but in your life, 
Okay? At some point in your life, you're going to say, what am I doing? What have I done with my life? Am I going to continue to live this life? And it's interesting that even as you get to that point of being so dissatisfied with your life, right, you start to uh, still kind of settle for where you are, right? Because you're afraid that if you step out and do something different, hey, you might not even have what you have. You realize we do that with jobs, right? You're so unhappy at your work, but if I don't do this, you know what I mean? I have mortgage to pay. I got a car payment, okay? I got my contract with Verizon, okay? I mean, all those kind of things come to me. So, I, you know, I'm just going to stay at this job, you know, just a few more years, and then maybe I'll look for something that I really want to do with my life. But you don't. Sometimes we do that with relationships in our life, right? You're with a guy or a girl, and you know, okay, you don't want to be with that person, but you're afraid. If I let this person go, am I going to really find another person that's better? Okay. Some of you have that struggle, right? You don't have to not. <laughs> okay. We settle, right? And after a while, you start to realize, man, what am I doing with my life? Right? My wife and I, uh, we got very comfortable in our life. Um, we, had, you know, we were doing church planning. And uh, we kept talking about, we, I mean, we were doing a ton of mission trips. Every year, I think we used to have at least two or three trips that went out of our church, okay, globally, right? On top of the local projects they were doing down at homeless, working with homeless people and things like that, right? And uh, after a while, right, even that, right, we started to realize, well, maybe there's something else we could do, right? And so for about 13 years, this is kind of the story of the Peru, we started going to Peru because Peru was like unlike any other country we've been to. Okay, we've been to many countries around the world, right? First trip that we went on Peru, right? Uh, I will never forget it. It was about 13, almost 14 years ago. And we were there for two weeks, okay? And every night, we would come back to our hotel at 1 and leave at 6 in the morning. I mean, it was just so much ministry that was happening, right? In about a, I think, two-week period, we had about 800 people or more confess Christ, okay, as their Savior. That was our first trip. Not only that, we would go to like a town square where we were doing ministry, and we would line people up and say, hey, we'd love to just pray for you, right? And some people would come with some amazing, I mean, amazing in a terrible way, right, prayers. They would ask for healing because they can't hear out of one of their ears, okay? One person came, and the person was blind in his left eyes, okay? One person came, and she says, can you pray for my ovaries? That was a hard one, okay? We said, all the ladies, please come here and pray for this lady, Okay? Because she wanted us to lay our, lay our hands on her ovaries and pray for her. Okay? And so we were praying for that. And some this lady said, you know, last night my you know, daughter just ran away from home. I don't know where she is. Okay, can you pray for me? Right? But in Peru, too, you know, those, for that first trip, can you imagine? What if God answered every one of those prayers on that spot? See, that was our first trip. The reason why we stayed out until 1 in the morning to ministry was that people were experiencing answers to prayer on the spot. Not sometime later. I'm sure God heard our prayers, that kind of thing, right? But literally, we saw a man who could not hear here in that moment. Okay? We saw a man whose one eye was all white. Okay? As we're praying, another eye appeared. Okay? The lady that we prayed for whose daughter ran away, okay? at the end of that prayer time, she walked into that square. I mean, it was an amazing trip that we would know. You know, I mean, 
there's a reason why we've been going only Peru for 13 years at Grace Life. That was our first trip. Do you think that would change you and your faith and all the things that you know about Scripture? You think it would make it come alive maybe? You see, a lot of times we don't want to share, we don't want to go because we think, oh, you know, I'm going to have to give what I have. And, you know, I only have 10 days off PTO, and if I give that away, I'm not going to be able to go to my friend's wedding. We, all these things, right? And so, you know, if I go, is it really going to make a difference? You know what? It probably will not make a huge difference maybe in the lives of people overseas and places like that, even in Baltimore City. But one thing that it will do is it will make a huge difference in you. Okay? For so many years, we always said we should change our mission trip, you know, calling a mission trip to a discipleship trip or a ministry trip because that's what really what it is. Right? It helps you to experience God in a tangible way, right? And it will make you feel hungry for more because you realize things that you've been learning in Scripture is really true. It will transform you more than it will transform the people that you're ministering to. You see, so as we're sitting here, when we see the word go, don't think, oh, I don't have time to go overseas. I don't have time, you know, for that. I want you to think, who can you go to, okay, even in your life right now, you have never shared the gospel with. When Pastor Dan announces there's a project we're going to do down in Baltimore City, have you ever volunteered for that? We're talking about probably one afternoon, maybe one all-day Saturday that you're giving up, right? It's a great opportunity, not for the people in the city, for you, believe it or not. You see, the Great Commission is not just so that the gospel, okay, will be treated to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission is for you so that you will continue to grow more than anything else. If you are stuck in your spiritual life, if you feel really dry spiritually, okay, I want to challenge you to get up and go and do something. It will change the way you are. Okay? It has been an incredible journey for my wife and I, and it's, it's, it's still hard to believe. It's still sinking in for me, right? that a lot of times I'm being called to share as a missionary versus as a pastor. You know, I've always been on the other side, right? And uh, things that God is calling us to do, things that we're leaving, we're still, we just put the house on the market, and we finally got our dream home in the suburbs, and, you know, we're raising four, you know, we have four boys, they're all growing up and all that, right? And as we're going through stuff in our house, wow, we have so much stuff, okay? And I remember leaving seminary saying to God, I'll always be ready to go wherever you tell me to go. I'm never going to settle in this world because this is not my home, right? I mean, I left with that resolution, right? And yet, I feel convicted and I, you know, I was repenting. I was like, I have so much stuff. <laughs> why did I buy this? Why, why do I have this even, right? And it's amazing to me. Box and box. I'm going to the city dump almost every other day, right? Just throwing things out, right? And I'm just like, wow, Okay. This is what happens, right? And so what you end up doing is not a matter of one big choice that you make one day. You wake up and say, okay, I'm going to change everything. But what I start to realize is it starts with small things, and it snowballs and becomes a big decision. That's the only way I could say why I'm going to Peru, right, to Lima as a missionary, even without knowing the language, I could not have made this decision overnight. 13 years in making, actually. 
okay, doing little things first, and then here I am. I'm able to say yes. If you asked me 13 years ago, I'd say, are you crazy? Because I said, you know what? I will never be a missionary in my life, even though I'll do a lot of ministry for God, because I don't think I have the right personality and the gifting to be a missionary. And then I said, I will never leave Grace Life, which has always been my home and church that I started. I will never leave that church and now I have to do all those things that I said I would never do. Okay? But it wasn't an overnight choice and a decision. So after you hear this message, I don't have expectations that all of you are going to maybe come and visit me in Peru or go to Baltimore City and do things. But I hope as you wake up tomorrow, as you go to work, as you go to school, perhaps some of you, can you do something different? Just one thing different. You know, one thing that will make a difference in the life of somebody else. And then as you keep doing that, God's going to speak to you. And he's going to take you to the next journey and the next thing you're going to do. And maybe one of these days, you might stand here and you might be commissioned out of the village church to be a missionary, to be a church planner, to do ministry down in the city as your full-time work. You never know what God has for you, right, until you take those small steps first. So pray about that. Think about that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you for this church, Lord God. I thank you for their vision, for the people who serve here, who are committed, who are, Lord God, working together for your kingdom. I ask for just greater resources. I ask that you would guard over their hearts so that the enemy would not take away what you have placed in their hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord God, help each and every person here to get up and go and do something, whatever that may be for each person. And so I pray that prayer, Lord God, and I pray this church would truly be the bride of Christ that would honor you and that would make the gospel truly go to the ends of the earth. And so we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name.